Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards for you if you donate to the show. Just $1 a month gets you access to a library of over 20 bonus mini-episodes of the Smug Film Podcast. These mini-episodes will never be on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to get them is by donating through Patreon. And that's not all. You also get streaming copies of my two feature films, Shredder and Rehearsals. All that for just a dollar a month. If you donate $5 a month, you get all that. Plus, we'll do a plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your Twitter handle, your website, your whatever. If you donate $10 a month, we'll plug whatever you want on every single episode of the show. It's an incredible deal. They're all incredible deals. So once again, that's patreon.com slash smugfilm, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today, live via Skype, is Carl Garcia. Jennifer Connelly, Babe Tricks. Yeah. See, it's always great when you reference stuff that we were talking about before we hit record. That's always... I think the fans really, really adore that. But they just want to know more. Yeah. But we're not going to reveal what that means, Jennifer Connelly, Babe Tricks. Uh, we're just going to leave that out in the open. People won't people won't know what that means. And we have first time guest, two time uh, smug film piece writer, uh, Twitter uh, empresario. I'm just going to throw the word empresario out there. I like that word. Penelope Tane. Howdy. Good to have you on the show. You've been great. You've been great on Twitter. I think I found you on Twitter like uh, maybe a month or so ago. You, you, I don't know why you have only like 50 followers. You're always posting great stuff. You got great opinions and everything. And it's great to have you as part of the Smug Film family. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And you just uh, you just did a piece on Haosu, the crazy, bizarre Japanese horror film that everybody either knows or as you say in the piece, is is intending to see one day. Mm-hmm. It's just this, uh, everybody knows that face of like the cat, that orange mm-hmm. cover and everything. And it's just this very known movie, mm-hmm. but kind of unexplored as having anything real to say. And in your piece, you really get into like, all right, well, here's what it actually does have to say. It's not just this like surreal nonsense movie. So uh, explain to our listeners a little bit, especially those who haven't read your piece yet on smugfilm.com, uh, what, what your general gist is about what you feel Haosu has to say. Well, what I feel Haosu is about generally, because this is late Showa, 70s, 80s, you know, things are dying down. There's a younger generation and whatnot. It's about the various, if you will, methods of control that women go through and are forced into if they wish to survive. This is really shown by the various, you know, not to beat around the bush, stereotypical characters. You have Gorgeous, you have Fantasy, you have Mac, etc., etc. And how all but Gorgeous are in what is horror generally known for murdered in brutally ways for some (laughs) transgression. 
Right. Uh, I mean, that's a very, very common theme in, in horror mm. in general. Like we see that, especially in like a late 80s, early 90s kind of horror. It kind of hit on that pretty hard. And Scream was, of course, kind of referencing that a little bit. Um, but it's especially with Japan, it just feels like, you know, there's this idea, which I mean, I, I didn't know anything. I don't I, I don't know nothing about Showa or or any of that. But from reading your piece, I was realizing, wait, wait a second, there was this like very, very predominant idea of what a woman should be. Mm-hmm. And, and this film is basically about all those other ways a woman can be just being cast to cast aside, essentially. And it's just like, exactly. no, you can only be this. Like, mm-hmm. however, however imposing we think it is in America with like the idea of like just, you know, these virginal like blonde girls, mm-hmm. it's like that, but ramped up like 100%. Right, right. And that's really what plays to so much of the absurdity within the film. If I recall correctly, Obayashi's eight-year-old niece, she's the origin for so many of the, let's just say, gags of the film. Mm-hmm. For example, the futons killing Sweet, I believe. And they just came directly from her head. And it's fascinating to me how at eight years old, she was able to know deep within her, be it if she could abstractly look at these various metaphors and be like, okay, this is what I'm talking about, or not what was already happening to her and what was going to be happening to her as she got progressively older and older and had to assimilate into that world. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's kind of disturbing to think that an eight-year-old could have such a, uh, a very clear picture of what she, what's in mm-hmm. store for her and, and, and how horrible that could be. And it, it is a shame that this movie is, is seen as just this like nonsense movie because that's that's what people really take away from it most yeah, I, often. Mm-hmm. I saw it back when it did its first like revival run, and it's I've always loved the movie, but like you you've always kind of, I've always kind of loved it as a technical exercise, mm-hmm. and like you know you kind of sense that there's some stuff there, but like I never thought of it coalescing in such a concrete way the way you've put it together. So yeah. Pretty dope. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you. The thing I'd like to really put in, and is also sort of the spoiler warning as a joke's surprise twist of my piece at the end, is that while it has all these interesting things to say, it also is at the same time the dayglow, goofy, technically well-done film that people generally think it as because of various decisions on the part by the writer and by the director. For example, the sexualization of the various characters. Mm-hmm. Kung Fu literally has their skirt ripped off and... For some reason, even though after that scene, she has it on over her shoulder, she doesn't put it back on. She just runs around in her <laughs> undergarment and a tank top. Right. Yeah, uh, that paragraph kind of made me think of, I watched the movie Coffee for the first time earlier this week, the Pam Greer exploitation oh, yeah. pick, which awesome. is awesome. But it's also like, it's it's a very similar case where um, so much of the plotting is very much this like level by level exposure of uh, systemic oppression uh, it's kind of similar to The Wire in that respect, but then at the same time, it's still an American international picture. So she's getting into fights where she's just like ripping women's dresses off, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's a weird, heady, interesting mix when you have these genre pictures that kind of mm-hmm. have to meet certain standards within their budget, but they're still saying like really insightful things mm-hmm. at the same time about the society and the uh, the setting that they've placed themselves in to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pam Greer was always always tremendous, and uh, of course Jackie Brown being like the best example of of truly what she can do. I mean, she was always in this like schlocky like quagmire that she never really mm-hmm. fully got out of until Jackie Brown. 
But I, I mean, you watch coffee, you watch like Friday Foster and Foxy Brown, etc. And she's always operating on some higher plane yeah. than her surroundings. Uh, I read her uh, autobiography a couple of years ago and she talks very specifically about how, like she really, really cared about acting when she was doing those movies. And she she got really, really into like method acting and Stanislavski and this, that and the other. And she just saw working on these movies as like essentially acting exercises. Like how good can I be in these pictures? Like despite <laughs> whatever they may be, like all those, like the, the women in prison stuff that she did kind of fairly early on, she just approached it like that. She, she approached it very method and she just, she got her acting practice just doing that. And, and she, she, turned into a very tremendous actor and she she always brought it and i don't i don't understand why jackie brown she didn't get like academy award nomination and an academy award and like all the goddamn praise in the world because she's tremendous in that film i that's always been my personal favorite tarantino film yeah it's pretty interesting stuff it really reminds me of the whole ragtime thing which i'm not sure if you're familiar with it but ragtime the musical genre was thrown by wonderfully classically trained African-Americans who are closed out entirely of the American classical music, seeing the parlors, dance house, whatever the proper terminology for such third places at that time or for music playing. Mm-hmm. So they invented their own genre of music and it's wonderful. Just some of the most amazing stuff you overhear and it's, you know. And you very, very influential on, on video yeah. game mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. tremendously. I mean, you, a lot of the, like the Super Mario stuff just sounds very mm-hmm. ragtime, especially like Super Mario World, like some of those levels, it's like very ragtime. And uh, yeah, ragtime is kind of like an, a total afterthought when we think about, you know, American uh, music types. It's also See? fascinating that the like African-American community is a, like a solid history of kind of creating new forms, of, like really new, purely American forms of music out of... Uh, you know, like what they've been able to get their hands on despite it, like, to, you know, what they've been able to get their hands on despite it kind of being mm-hmm. typically denied to them or, you know, placed out of their class range. Um, mm-hmm. Like New Orleans jazz, all the stuff with the sousaphones and stuff was birthed out of the fact that after the Spanish-American War, a bunch of soldiers came back and just, like, dumped their instruments off of the dock. And then the, like, dock workers took those and that became New Orleans jazz. Mm. Hip hop is credited to being invented when the NYC blackout happened and like mm-hmm. a bunch of like mixing boards and stuff got looted and suddenly you had all these really awesome DJs floating around. Yeah, and you had people hooking to get electricity hooking things up to like the street lights. Yeah. Out in the street. And then that became, you know, everybody hanging out in the street listening to mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. Wow, how did we get this to hear from House? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, sort of that same kind of creative thread of like rebelling exactly. absolutely still making com- social commentary within confines placed upon you mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i think that's where it's most important you know i think that's where you can kind of reach people because mm-hmm. you know you you lure them in maybe with like you know the japanese girls losing their panties or whatever whatever that is but if you can throw some message at them then Maybe maybe you have helped something penetrate because I, I, I've always felt that like very distinctly uh, either erotic or horrific imagery, you know, it gets to you on a certain level. And I think it gets to you on a level that any any deep message also gets to you. Like when I when I'm watching a movie and there's some great message to it that just penetrates like a, a Kim Ki-duck movie or something like a 
Three Iron is one that I, that I absolutely adore. What it says about love is just tremendous. When I watch that movie, it it like it's like a knife in me. Just like if I were watching some scene where like a knife was going into somebody and it was depicted really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always felt that like culty, very heavily genre stuff can be can be such great areas to explore these like deeply penetrating social issues or whatever else, just human condition issues. Like uh, there's that movie Girl Next Door, which I absolutely love, a horror film from a couple years back, not to be confused with the the crappy uh, early 2000s comedy, The Girl Next Door. But uh, this is this is the based on the Jack Ketchum novel, which was based on an actual, true, horrible American crime story about a, a torture slaying of this girl. And uh, the film is, is definitely very horror and very cheap in some ways. Like there are performances in it that are very, I, I believe, intentionally done a little like to disarm you like the the line readings are a little too like safe and cheery and might Mm -hmm. be seen as like oh there's bad acting in this movie it's like no it's all there to just slowly desaturate the film over time until it just becomes this very very dark very depressing and and essentially a a tragic romance um i think that's a that's a perfect example that film of what you can do in horror to really to really penetrate people deeply on a level that isn't, you know, a knife going in, on a level that's just some concept, some idea that's going into you that wasn't there before and now it's there and it's like it's essentially unshakable. Like you just learn something about romance by watching this movie about a girl getting tortured that will probably be so be sold as torture porn to uh, market it. Yeah, I think honestly I I feel you on this particular regard, but also at the same time, I, I wouldn't necessarily be so hopeful, really, about it. Because mm. when I was looking up for my piece, just as a general funsy thing, I went on to Tumblr and the tagged house stuff. There's things like Demon Cat from House of Various Brooches. There's a person who got a tattoo of Shiro. Right. It's like Demon Cat from House. There's this one, gosh, how old is this kid? Oh, this kid was born in 78, so pardon me there. Your periodic reminder that Haosu slash House 1977 is another chore of weird, cheap-looking horror movie film full of innocence and candy and blood. This mm. is all in capital letters, by the way. So, you know, it's um, one level you're getting through, but on another, are they really understanding? Because, gosh, yeah. you can even look on Etsy and see t-shirts of Shiro. You can see patches, all sorts of, let's say, fan-produced merchandise. And I don't know about you, but... I'm not exactly the kind of person who wants such an evil within my house or on my body. It's a, it's a very strange thing how heavily marketed that movie became. Like it, it became essentially like the view askew kind of thing mm-hmm. for Criterion. I mean, you, you saw that, that orange shirt with the cat on it you, everywhere. You saw posters for it everywhere. I mean, it, it played midnight showings just like The Room or something. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was treated at the, as this you know very, very silly affair. And I think that's what... You know, when I saw it the first time, I was really kind of unnerved by how I like I could sense that there was something more there, but I didn't really have mm-hmm. the background in like what was going on in Japan at the time to really understand what I was, I guess, sensing but not mm-hmm. seeing because it it definitely didn't feel frivolous. It didn't feel like mm-hmm. this was popcorn. It felt like there was something else there. And I guess I interpreted that as at the time, I interpreted that as oh, I don't like this movie. 
this movie's bad. Mm. And I think it was because all that marketing and then I sit down and I'm watching this movie and I, I, I can perceive that there's something more there. And I wasn't told there was something more there and I don't know what that thing is. And I was just kind of like very repelled by Haosu for a long time. And I think it's taken until now that I, I'm so divorced from all that marketing that like really, really heavily saturated, saturated orange uh, marketing of it. And like now I, I feel like I can sit down, I can watch it with fresh eyes uh, and really, I guess, finally get what it wants me to get. Yeah, I'm probably happy to hear that. I mean, it's, you know, not the best dramatization, excuse me, of these sort of events, but it's definitely one of the most colorful and honestly straight up entertaining to watch. Uh, you know, I have all these criticisms, of course, but that doesn't mean I don't watch it and enjoy it as someone who's wearing a t-shirt, as the pin, as the, what's the thing, the jean jacket vest that all kids are wearing now with patches of all the cat and everyone. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's always it's always boggled my mind like what stuff becomes that iconic because it does kind of feel random mm -hmm. and, and it does kind of crop up out of nowhere. It seems like uh, I, I remember when you know Jack Skellington became like the the thing that you saw everywhere. You saw it like kind of like the Misfits logo. You would, you saw everywhere for a mm -hmm. while. Like these, these certain icons that just become things you see everywhere. And it has it, it always has nothing to do with my actual like reaction to the art, usually like um, like I, I enjoy Nightmare Before Christmas, but I've never felt that like wanting to take his face and have it be my flag kind of thing from it. <laughs> and that's what it, it seems like a lot of kids want to do. Like it for some reason, that face means something on some other level. It's almost like this this form of rebellion that they, you know, they of course purchased at a mall, mm -hmm. but it's this, mm -hmm. uh, this like rallying cry of some sort, which I don't even know what their, their rallying cry is, but it, it just means something to them. And it's like, when I'm a, I was a kid watching, I was like, yeah, he looks cool. The rest of the movie looks cool too. And I kind of liked the movie and I never felt that like, uh, ownership of it. I never felt like it was, uh, it was something for me that I had to fucking rep, you know? Like mm -hmm. if I'm going to wear an icon on like a shirt, it's got to be something that I really want to rep. And I, I don't under, I, I don't really understand why people rep certain things. I think it's more just like a, like you said, it's waving a certain flag and trying to communicate a certain message. There's the archetypical, you laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because you're all the same garbage t-shirt. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's, it sucks. It's stupid. All those things. But for young person purchasing that it's really them trying to assimilate into a group that's in opposition to what they see perceive as mainstream groups mm. and that's for 20 bucks i'm sure that's much easier than again not to be rude to these children but inventing an actual personality right and really a way that's gonna work because i'm sure you might have an idea of what it's like being a true original and trying to fit into a group or something like that in a really heavily regulated socialized setting such as a k-12 institution mm. so it's easier to just buy like a you know to speak from my own experience and rather than make fun of these anonymous children myself like i gosh i went to uniform schools for elementary and middle so i had a bunch of uniform clothing right i go to high school it's no dress code anything like that i'm like great i literally go to the local comic book store i buy some threadless t-shirts because for some reason they stock those and some of the most gaudy comic t-shirts you can imagine. I was really into <laughs> comics at this time. Mm. 
I literally had an outfit where a comic book guy dressed as a superhero, white wearing a t-shirt, khakis, and athletic sneakers. I swear to you, the worst outfit I could ever imagine anyone <laughs> wearing. But I was really trying to assimilate into this sort of nerdy group. Right. You see it with uh, Deadpool recently, which I did not right. see coming. I did not like the, the mask is like, it's fine. It looks kind of like Spider-Man. I didn't, I never got really like that. That would become like this, this icon, but it, it has for some, I tried the movie. I didn't like the movie. I've read like a couple of the comics. So I was like, yeah, this is all right. I guess it, it just always seems uh, strange to me. What takes on what doesn't it, it's almost like a very viral thing where it's just kind of mm-hmm. you wake up and it's it's what everybody's talking about what everybody's wearing yeah it's fascinating just watching that as an observer how these things they become a vast prairie fire among the hearts of untold thousands and then they could just disappear overnight mm. carl did I, you ever uh, wear anything weird uh i had i had i had a fair share of those snarky t-shirts you know the the one that just just said stop reading this shirt that kind of thing Mm. yeah uh i went through that phase in high school (laughs) i remember having a uh an atari shirt that i really really dug i guess it was like uh when i was like 13 or 14 i remember i got it because i saw it in uh road trip remember that Mm -hmm. movie road trip I do, I do. Your boy DJ Qualls, he was wearing a uh, Atari (laughs) shirt. And for some reason in my 13-year-old mind, I thought, you know, that's cool. DJ Qualls is is an icon for me right now. Strongly identify with DJ Qualls. Yeah, I don't know what it was. It doesn't make sense. It's like, why would I pick DJ Qualls? But uh, I just thought the, the idea of wearing an Atari shirt was like mad cool. And so I wore that for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, the various personas you could pick up on and be like, Yep, this is who I wish to define my life as. Yeah. When you're an idiotic child, as all children are idiots. Yeah, when do you think the uh, the idiocy stops? When I think it's different for everybody. I think there there, totally, totally. there, there comes some age where like it kind of you wake up and you're not an idiot anymore. It's like a different puberty that you go through, I think. There's like a bodily puberty and then there's like a mental puberty mm-hmm. of like, "Oh, you woke up. You're not an idiot anymore. Great. Now you get to be a person for real." Yeah, you get to just be like, okay, hmm, you know, you were in the vagina monologues. Should you have bought all three t-shirts they sold and then wore them? <laughs> Which is something I also did. Nice. And I think I still have them somewhere. They have, not to be rude, but they're like black t-shirts, right? With red text, each of them. And they just are various profane words for an organ, which is obvious. Mm. <laughs> and I literally would just go around like that with like a, you know, the sort of skater long sleeve thing. Right, yeah. T-shirt yeah. With a t-shirt over it like that, just bad outfits of the past is the topic of discussion, I believe. Well, you know what I've seen lately is I've seen, you know, especially in like memes now, like there's this like skeleton thing with like, you know, 3D skeletons and like Grim Reapers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I remember those shirts. I did not think that would come back in any form, but now it's come back like ironically, like in meme form. And I think we're going to start seeing people wearing those kind of shirts ironically like a skull like riding the motorcycle etc i think that's that the n- like what uh happened with three wolf moon that was that whole yeah thing too. dude yeah that that's this is the next wave of that dude if you if you see those shirts you gotta buy them up because they're gonna be like 150 dollars on ebay soon you know you're gonna see like supermodels wearing like uh a skull riding the motorcycle with like flaming <laughs> tires and whatnot shirts you joke, but 
Carrie Pamupamu. She literally wears Slipknot t-shirts from time to time as That's fucking wonderful. awesome. I know, right? She even her mom even has a couple Slipknot t-shirts. Nice. I swear to you, like the literal 90s ones that are so absolutely gaudy and terrible. <laughs> and she just makes them sing somehow. Yeah, I've been looking for uh, wrestling shirts lately. I've been looking for like late 90s kind of attitude era wrestling shirts because mm-hmm. I want to find like, I, I'm very weirdly nostalgic for like the kind of like bootleg like paint on like a shirt where mm-hmm. like, especially on like a person's face when they try and do like a face and it just becomes this like weird, like khaki beige with like weird sort of shading with like black on it. Like I'm, I'm just very nostalgic for some weird reason for how faces are depicted on, on those kind of like knockoff late nineties shirts. If that makes any sense to anybody listening, but uh, <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. It's just something about it that I really, I, I want on my body, but I haven't really found ones that are, are the right vibe. Cause I've always, I've always been a wrestling fan. I recently got mm-hmm. more into it and I just want to fucking rep that era, but in my own like stylish way, I still haven't cracked it yet, but uh, I intend to do so. Yeah. I'm also into wrestling, yeah. which is of course the proper terminology, but, are you There's enjoying it lately? About, I haven't been watching Modern. Mm. I just got into somewhat recently, like a couple of months ago, All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling. Oh, nice. And it's pro, but in a completely different way. It's the way they play with KFAB and the storylines are so interesting. Like There's this one match between Chigusa and Bull Nakano. Bull Nakano's in basically kabuki makeup for a villain and everything. It's so fascinating, the moves and everything. Great match, everything. Then the end is them doing interviews where they freely acknowledge and they just that this was a match, you know, that they're half actors, half athletes, mm. and that there's sort of no semblance of Kefabe, and that's just fascinating to me. Oh, I love that. I love I love when wrestlers speak very candidly about what they're doing. Like like I love when magicians speak very candidly mm-hmm. about what they're doing or anything. Like I think that always that always adds something to it. Because there's still persists this idea that wrestling fans are like people that still believe in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And it's so <laughs> it's so ridiculous because it, it, it's genuinely what people who don't watch wrestling think that wrestling people think. They, they see them as like these these overgrown children that basically mm-hmm. still believe in Santa Claus. And that's not true at all. Like you talk to any real wrestling fan. And they know all the moves. They know basically how each one is done. They know all sorts of behind the scenes shit, etc. It's like, I guess being a wrestling fan, it's like being really into Christmas, but like knowing that Santa Claus isn't real, but just liking the idea of like the, the light up Santas and the, you know, etc. And like ornaments, cool ornaments, cool lights, mm-hmm. etc. It's like, yeah, you know, Santa Claus doesn't, doesn't exist. You just like the aesthetic and you like uh, what Christmas represents. Yeah, and also I think there's really just a fascination with talking chop or understanding chop. Yeah. Like, also oh, there's someone power-loading before Christmas. Oh, so they could be the fake mall Santa. Or really anything like that. It's just fascinating how it works and the whole culture behind it. Absolutely. Like, even something like mufflers are interesting to a particular mindset. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with more show. See you soon. And now, Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. 
Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. This has been a robot reenactment. Now, back to the show. Hello, I am the hunky smug film sponsor plug man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the Smug Film Podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter, he's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby Slow on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's MinorKeyGames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. It's a great documentary that we all love here as Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm and donate. And now, back to the episode. Hello, Smug Film fans. Leave us a question or a comment for Smug Film to play on the show by calling the following voicemail number. 718-395-9711. Once again, that's 718-395-9711. We look forward to hearing from you, you lovely, lovely people. Welcome back to the Smug Film Podcast. And uh, we're going to listen to a voicemail from a fan. But before we do that, Penelope, please explain a, a term that you just used that people listening at home uh, might not understand. Within professional wrestling circles, there's these things called mufflers. A muffler is essentially a athletic support, protection, what have you, made by each individual professional wrestler before a match. It, it consists of wadded up toilet tissue nudged between the tuchus cracks or cheeks, excuse me. And this is to ensure nothing happens, the sweat gets absorbed, all that wonderful stuff. There's a well-known story, but gosh, I think it was, what's his face? Dallas Diamond Page, where his muffler fell out during a match. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you could find that on one of the botch manias or something like that. Yeah, the botch manias are incredible, by the way. Even if, yeah, you, even yeah. if you don't like wrestling, just watch botch mania all day. Like those are Those are basically just collections and compilations of just when wrestling goes wrong. Uh, whether people are making announcements and they do it incorrectly or people are doing moves and they just do it horribly. And I think there's like over like 300 at this point on YouTube. They're incredible. So yeah, now you guys know what a muffler is. You can throw that into casual conversation. You so can uh, you can make your own mufflers at home. I think we <laughs> everybody now has the recipe. So uh, if you're at home and you want to make a muffler now, you know how. All right, let's uh, listen to this voicemail. Hi, this is Gene from Indiana. And your recent discussion of escapist movies reminded me of one that I've, I've always held in a special place in my heart, and that is Dirty Work, a mid-90s comedy starring Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang as uh, two slackers who start a revenge-for-hire business. It's probably not what you'd think of when you're looking for a uh, 
a, uh, a nice, fun movie to put on just out of the blue. But it's in that weird tradition of slobs versus snobs comedies that has that that have a really a very nice message about community solidarity. And I I don't know that that mixed with the very caustic and raw sense of humor of Norm Macdonald and Artie Lang really brings me up when I'm feeling down. Anyway, bye. All right. I like that, that the little anyway, bye. I got to adopt that. That was awesome. Wasn't that great? Anyway, bye. Anyway, bye. That's awesome. Pasta closer. Yeah, that's like, that, that's perfection. I hope, I hope he does that in just all aspects of his life. <laughs> like whenever he's just saying bye, anyway, bye. It's fantastic. Like it just cheers you up to hear. I like it very much. Uh, Dirty Work. You guys seen Dirty Work? Oh, no, I've not. Neither of you? Oh, man. All right, I'm handling this You're by myself. All right, so Dirty Work. I mean, I love Norm MacDonald. He, he's awesome on Twitter, by the way. Whether you like his comedy or not, he's just great on there. He just has a good vibe. He tells like these weird stories from his life. They're just incredible. Uh, just in piece by piece, 140 character form. Uh, I've, I've always been a big fan of Norm MacDonald. Dirty Work, not a great movie. Not not Probably not a good movie either. But it kind of makes me laugh despite myself. There are certain moments that are that are really funny that I kind of, I really do get what he's saying about how it's it, it it's a good escape. Um, there's this great part with uh, Jim Downey from SNL as a homeless guy. And it, if you don't know who Jim Downey is, he's that guy in Billy Madison that says that like, soliloquy that's been memed a million times of like that was the dumbest thing i've ever heard and everybody in this room is now dumber from hearing what you said etc oh, yeah. oh, yeah. jim downey i mean he gives amazing line readings and he's he's basically just a comedy writer he wrote for snl for i guess close to 30 years or something brilliant guy and he in dirty work is basically the best thing in dirty work he's just this homeless guy delivering when he's very like uh very serious, very straight-faced, funny moments. Uh, Dirty Work's definitely worth watching, I would say, but it's just not great. But you'll find yourself seeing it a couple times in life. Like, I've probably seen it four times. It's probably, I mean, there's probably three and a half times too many. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's good. It's a, I don't know, man. It's not good, but it's good. Ugh, it hurts. But I, I totally get what he's saying. So, uh, Dirty Work, try it. You'll like parts of it. You'll hate yourself, but you you will feel divorced from the world for 90 minutes. It's definitely in its own galaxy uh, of very, very, very dumbness. And I love Norm MacDonald. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> yeah, Norm MacDonald is just great. Yeah. His comedy style is just so fascinating to me because it's essentially American Rakugo. Oh, really? Rakugo is a form of comedy, Japanese where it's sit down and there's these various comedic stories with a lot of impersonations and stuff like that. And the performer only has a set of chopsticks and a tea towel to do these very complex things, such as working at a zoo, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the funny stuff you ever see, really difficult to find in English, but there's Kasura Sunshine, who's this Canadian blonde haired guy who does it. He's good. And also Kimi Oshima. She's also pretty good. I highly recommend checking it out if you like Norman McDonald comedy. Damn. All right. Learning something. Yeah. I love this. And uh, yeah, Norm McDonald, I would I would recommend specifically him on Dennis Miller Live, the the Millennium 
like special or whatever. There's this compilation mm -hmm. of all of Dennis, uh, all of Norm Macdonald's appearances on that special that are just him coming out and it's like, all right, it's the 1950s. All right, it's 1960s. It's like basically the special was Dennis Miller going through every decade and just doing like a set of bits each decade, just little rants or whatever. Mm -hmm. But every time Norm Macdonald comes out, Norm Macdonald does the exact same bit and it's fucking hysterical. So just dig that up on YouTube. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible. And uh, probably my favorite thing of Norm Macdonald on YouTube, which is saying a lot. 90s Conan appearances are pretty great. Those oh, are God, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, yeah. Oh, man. When that whole uh, carrot top thing is <laughs> classic, yeah. That's just next level. Just and watching Conan's face as that occurs, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, you know, we were talking about escapist movies last time on the Smug Film podcast. Me and me and Carl, of course, talking about that. Uh, Penelope, I'd love to hear like, what are, the, what are the kind of movies that you can throw on and you're just somewhere else for that time being, and you just feel away from the world. Cause when me, when me and Carl were talking about it, it was when all the craziness was going down in America. And now of course, compounded with that. Now we've have what happened in the, the horrific, uh, killing in, in France of all these people with the truck and all that. I don't want to get too like glum here, but everybody knows what's going on. And then you got the stuff in Turkey, etc. What's like a movie that's going to take people out of the world and just give them a breather from this news cycle. What's your pick? I have a couple, but for me, one of the best is where the Buffalo Rome that gosh, 87 or so. Let me do a quick check. Yeah. That's the one with Bill Murray. Uh, yeah. Bill Murray yeah. Yeah. 1980. Well, I'm way off there, mm. but Bill Murray as Hunter S Thompson and it's sort of fictionalized in a way, but in a way that greatly improves it. It's not, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, oh, look at me, I'm doing a lot of drugs and I have feelings. Mm. Uh, about to see the rumble in the jungle, but whoops, I give away my tickets and hang out in the pool. Aren't I wacky? Right. The way he just takes the base elements of such a persona and makes it fun, really. Even have, what's his face, uh, Carla Costa being changed into Carl Aslo-esque character, played by Peter Boyle. Oh, I love Peter Boyle. Oh, that's cool. It's it's fascinatingly fun. It's just something you can put on. You're watching it, it having the time of your life. Gosh, there was a strain a couple years ago where I think for two weeks straight, we would just watch that, my friends and I, mm. every single day. That was That was me with Last Days of Disco for like months. Like it was like every night when I was like working on something, if I was writing like a smug film piece, if I was doing other work or whatever, I would just have that on in the background. Just the rhythm of the Whit Stillman dialogue. You know, I didn't, I didn't bring that up as an escapist movie last time, but mm -hmm. damn Whit Stillman like that. That's a real awesome escape for me. I love, I love his dialogue. I love his rhythms. Where to Buffalo Rum? I really have to check out because it's, it's one of those I've heard about for so long and I don't know why I haven't seen it yet, but, uh, I will, I will check it out for sure. Totally. There's also, of course, the Bill and Ted movies, some of the finest cinematic achievements in American yeah. cinema. Oh, damn, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the Wasn't first that one... what started this, Cody? Was you watched Bill and Ted and you were like, yeah. we should do an episode on escapist movies? And then I forgot to bring up Bill and Ted, didn't I? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're bringing it up now. Bill yeah. and Ted, I mean, god damn, it, a literal escape for the characters. But... Uh, Seriously. It's an escape for those watching at home. So you, you, you're you a big fan of Bill and Ted? 
you know, I'm not joking when I described it as one of the finest cinematic achievements in American cinema. Mm. It's just so wonderful and fun. The dynamic is everything. Of course, there's some just really one mark of age, the whole scene where they embrace and then say the F's third to each other. Yeah. However, the sequel makes that so you don't have to remove that almost. Have you seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? I have. Yeah. Who, yeah. who would it's, I be if I had not seen uh, Bogus Journey? I think that's, <laughs> that's a prerequisite for all uh, smug film anybody's. Yeah. It's so wonderful and unique. Quite literally, the plot of the film is Bill and Ted respect their girlfriends, the quote-unquote babes, so much that they completely respect them and is trying to keep the respect so evil Bill and Ted don't cross their boundaries. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, I fucking love that. Wow. <laughs> like They also have evil Bill and Ted use the F-slur, and that, that makes the one, rather the use in the first one, fine because it shows, hey, Bill and Ted, it's been five years, they grew up, they're not doing such evil. Right. Although there's that one scene where I think Bill, no, nah, it's Ted, he calls the demon the F-slur. You remove that, you got a perfect film. Mm. I, I, I love that. Now, now I got to watch that too again. Because <laughs> I watched the first one mm -hmm. while all this horrible shit was going down in the world and it was, it was perfect for me. It was, it was the perfect escape. And I got to watch that second one. I got to get my hands on it. Definitely. I, it's on one of the streaming services. I think Netflix. Oh, nice. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely peep that one. Any, any, anyone's from you, Carl, that you've, uh, you've, you've thought of since we recorded that? Because I feel like we missed out on a bunch that, uh, oh, I'm sure there's countless. Yeah. Um, if there's anything I watched recently that falls into that, that I can think of. Yeah. Well, what have you been watching recently there, guy? Uh, shitload of Westerns. Good. Uh, See, he's been doing yeah, a man. series and then I got John to like, Look at the schedule and give me everyone that I need to see off of it. So, oh, he's been he's been doing great stuff for me, man. Like, yeah. uh, he he turned me on to Anthony Mann, who's yeah, insanely I good. Just watched Naked Spur last night. Oh Holy my god, shit. Naked Spur is so good. Naked Spur is my favorite one. That uh, that's my okay. favorite western at this point. Incredible, and I did not. I mean, that was my first Jimmy Stewart western. Oh I really? I did not know what he was capable of. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if you like morally ambiguous, scummy Jimmy Stewart, check out Anatomy of Murder if you haven't seen it. That's my favorite, like, gross Jimmy Stewart performance. Ooh, I haven't seen that one. Ooh, it's good. Uh, he's a lawyer, and he's he's the good lawyer, but he's, like, still got a lot of dirty tactics up his sleeve. Mm -hmm. um, so he's, like, kind of, kind of a bastard. It's great. Nice. Uh, George C. Scott is the other attorney that he's up against in the courtroom. Ben Gazzara is the... Uh, the guy up for trial it's pretty great nice so with with westerns have you done jubal yet no uh they're not showing that I don't ah, damn it or if they are john just didn't recommend i know they're showing 310 to yuma which i have not seen before that one's incredible yeah that's coming up in a couple weeks you're gonna lose your mind there's some stuff done cinematically in that movie that's just intense and and still intense which which is saying a lot like yeah. I was, I was on the edge of my seat with that one for sure. But yeah, man, Westerns are good. I didn't know. And then John told me and oh, yeah. John D'Amico, shout out smug film. He, uh, he sent me on the Western path. A lot of really good ones. Delmar Davies or Daves or however you pronounce it. And Anthony, man, those are my guys. I'm not, yeah, I've also got man from Laramie mm -hmm. and devil's doorway Tate. Mm -hmm. So those, those two, I haven't seen yet. I still got to okay. see those. 
I'm, I haven't really been into John Ford. I like my darling Clementine. That's the only one that oh, I really, man. that's the only one I really oh, adore of his. I also watched a bunch of those a couple months ago. Uh, have you seen she wore a yellow ribbon? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good. I mean, Clementine, I think it fucking spoiled me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I love stagecoach too. Stagecoach is a blast. Yeah, see that one too. It didn't. It didn't penetrate me because I was just. I, I think I was still reeling from Clementine. I still think I am still reeling from Clementine. It's just too, reeling from Clementine. It's too perfect, man. Too too good. So Penelope, your first piece for the site was about an underseen Criterion film called uh, "Garden of Women" from 1954, and that 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 one's basically underseen because you can only see it on Hulu at this point. It was never actually a a Criterion DVD or Blu-ray release, but that's one that uh, that you found a lot in that you really dug. And maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, underseen Criterion films here, the three of us. But uh, yeah. to start, tell tell us a little bit about Garden of Women because that's a, that's a piece you can you know you can go on Smug Film right now. You can you can read her her full thoughts. But uh, let's hear about that. It's such a wonderful film. My sort of wheelhouse, if you will. You know, everyone has a type of film that they're always returning to again and again and again and again. Mm. For me, it's Dora, black and white Showa arrow film. Excuse me, error films. There's just something about them and the language and everything that just works for me every single time. And I get so entranced within it. The Garden of Women was one of the ones that completely shocked me with Mm. how good and how far it went. It's about uh, finishing school, if you will. You know, Institute of Higher Education in post-war Japan. It's really, really strictly regulated and is really trying to mold the young woman into the only image, or rather the image of the ideal Japanese woman. And the way they explore the issues that would arise from such a circumstance is just fascinating. You have a character, what's her face? Akiko, who whose father is providing funding to the school, eh, providing funding to the school, and is a real industrialist, bourgeoisie. And you have a, I mean, that's a proper term for such a person, is it not? Right. You have Fumier, who's interrogating her, saying, is this a joke? Because of Kiko sort of influencing the younger students along the path of, okay, this is wrong, this is not how a school should operate. Is this something you're doing as a joke? Is this something you're doing to play around? essentially playing the garden rather than set roots and grow it just wonderful for the story and everything but also for the cinematography the use of space and everything is just as if i'm an italian chef i'd be doing the kissing noise that they stereotypically do right (laughs) yeah it's definitely one i gotta i gotta see it's it's always sad to me the criterion films that that slip people by um just because either they get buried like maybe they get released around the time that like bigger ones get released like mm-hmm. the ones people are clamoring for or they're like this one that's just on hulu that's the only way you can see it like i remember there's a you know spirit of the beehive was one that like people weren't really talking about for a while and that's a great movie that's a fantastic film and it just kind of got buried and especially like the other like carlos sora stuff they did an eclipse set of his that people didn't really pay attention to unless until it went out of print like it, it yeah. shot up and it was like three hundred dollars. Then everyone was like, "Oh, what's this?" And th- those films are tremendous. Carlos Sora is insanely good. 
Uh, cre- I've only seen uh, Peppermint Frappa his, but I fucking loved it, and I want to check out more of his stuff. You're going to lose your mind, dude. Crea Cuervos, uh, that's probably one of the best films I've ever seen Cool. from, my, cool. from Criterion, and uh, probably his best film. Definitely got to check that one out. Um, but it, it's just such a tremendous catalog that I think people overlook kind of like the ones that maybe doesn't immediately draw the eye. Like I've, I, I've always felt like, you know, once they changed their packaging, once they went to that like C little like logo in the corner or whatever, rather than like the tiny text on the top of like a DVD box, like people mm-hmm. just stopped caring about like the little tiny text on the top of the box ones. They just only wanted to see like the new release ones. But there's like, like I think the Lady Eve is one of those like early Criterion releases that like yeah. it's worth owning just like one of those like old Criterion releases for like that. That Lady Eve is wonderful. And there are a bunch of other ones. It's just like, man, you got to you got to dig, but they're there for you. Seriously. A lot of the Eclipse stuff, a lot of the, the Japanese Eclipse stuff, man. There's one I want to recommend that's on Hulu. That was like they did. I think it's like three years ago at this point. They did a summer where they just put like one weird ass thing off their Hulu channel for free mm. for the entire summer. Mm. And I watched almost every single thing they showed. But one particular like standout favorite of mine that I stumbled across through this is this uh, Czech, New- Czech New Wave is just an awesome period of filmmaking, by the way. Right. But uh, this is Czech New Wave horror movie called The Cremator by some dude named Jiraj Herz, who I've never heard of a film before since um and it's about this guy who is just a completely like sociopathic insane uh funeral director and he ends up uh designing the uh cremation stuff for the nazis but it's just kind of about his family life and it is one of the Mm -hmm. weirdest goddamn movies i've ever seen but like weird in a really awesome technically fascinating way Mm. Um, it's like really frightening. It's just got, uh, like a lot of that strange, like, uh, Czech new wave stop motion art. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're a fan of, uh, feminist masterpiece daisies, it's one of the dudes that they take out on the dates plays this like insane cremator man. Mm. So that's it. That's the one that I'm in love with. It's, I can't describe it. You just have to look at it. It's it's so bizarre. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. A lot of fisheye lenses, that kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. It's nuts. Sounds good. All right. So I guess that about wraps it up. Carl, always great to have you. Thank you. Penelope, great to have you for the first time. Hopefully not the last. Thank you. I'm totally down for doing this again. Yeah. Looking looking forward to some more pieces from you. And uh, please, if you're listening, check out the Haosu piece. Checking out the, uh, the Garden of Women piece. They are both up there on the Smug Film website. We're trying to do more pieces nowadays. I'm, I'm, I'm writing one. I think uh, something's going up uh, this week. So uh, look for that as well. And uh, thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>